Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for this opportunity you've given us to be able to learn from your word. And, and we ask that you would help us to understand the things that you are speaking to us and help us to understand your word. God, thank you for an opportunity to gather together. Thank you for the opportunity to sing your songs and, and worship you. So, Lord, we just commit the next um, amount of time to you. We commit our um, thoughts and our ideas and, and just our time together to you, Jesus. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, if you want to turn with me to the Colossians. It is in probably about, got an entire Bible on you. It's probably about three-quarters of the way through it at least. Close to the end. And I'll just give you, a, just wrapping up that overview real quick. Paul, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in um, Colossae at the time. He's in jail. And Paul didn't plant this church or start this church himself. There's a man by the name of Epaphras who had heard the message of Jesus Christ from Paul, who then brought the message back to the town and started the church himself. And so because Colossae was on this trade route between east and west, it not only brought you know trades and goods and those kinds of things, but it also brought a lot of different ideas, philosophies, religions, and they did all pass through this town. And so a couple of the things that were affecting the town, and the reason that Paul was writing this letter is because, in particular, two belief systems had kind of infiltrated the church and were attacking the church at the time. And the two things were probably this early Gnosticism, which is belief that body and material is bad, spirit is good. And therefore, it had some things to say about Christianity because we proclaim that the Son of God came in the flesh. Whereas they would say that can't be possible because God would never put, on, put a body on himself because that would be bad. So they either denied that Jesus came in the body and died for our sins on the cross or believed that he was God at all. And this other belief would be just kind of this legalistic view that, that Christ Jesus was not enough. That we needed more things. We needed to add some good things to our lives to get, earn our way to heaven. So there had to be this observance of food regulations and different um, festivals and holidays, and a number of things that you'd have to add to your life in order to secure yourself a place in heaven. Because the work of Christ was not enough for you. That You had to add some things to that yourself. So what Paul does in this book, and this is why this book is important for us now, is that Paul sets about to look at how do we, when we are faced with a number of different conflicting views of, of Christianity or what we're to believe or what's, what's real, what's the truth. Paul sets about to say, here's how you go about doing that. And I think for us in America today and across the world, Christianity is coming under attack. This denial that Jesus Christ was anything at all, or if he even existed in the first place. We hear that time and time again, or that all truth is relative. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe that system will get you to heaven. And so Paul sets about what he does in this book. There's four chapters in this book. And what he goes about to do is this. Instead of going about, and this is what I would have done. He would have said, okay, look, here's how you, in a sense, defend yourself. Okay, you ask these kinds of questions. You want to, you know, bring them to a place where they they see your beliefs, but then you can kind of say, well, here's where there's holes in your belief. And and so there's a sense of like, hey, I'm going to defend my faith and do some, some arguing and kind of figure out what's going on. 
He doesn't do that at all. Instead, what he does is he takes and looks at Jesus Christ and says, look at what Christ has done. Look at who Christ is. Look at the work that Jesus has done. And he looks and he looks at the, the unbelievable work that Christ has done on the cross. And so he magnifies Jesus Christ. And then from there, he says, because of what Christ has done, this is who we are in Christ. This is the work that God has done in us. And this is who we are because of that work of Jesus Christ. Now, from there, he takes an interesting turn of a course of action. He says, now, because of this, here's how you're to live. And so he, he, he brings together this sense of belief in who Jesus Christ is, this belief in what he has done for us, and says, because of that, here's how you're to live your lives before other people. So there's this, there's this bringing together of belief and action. And it's not, okay, here's how you defend yourself against this other group of people who are attacking you. He says, no, here's how you live together as a body of Christ. Here's how you're to live together with your neighbors and your friends. These are the things that are important to you as a body. And so he, he brings together this, this belief and this course of action for our lives. He brings those two things together. Because belief is never divorced from action. They always go hand in hand. When we begin to talk about the things we believe about Jesus Christ and who he is, it's never for us to be apart from the way we're to live our lives. These two always go hand in hand. And this theme runs through the entire book. These are the themes that run through the book. And what we're going to look at today is a prayer that Paul has for the church. And we see this theme run through this prayer that he has for the church as well. So this big picture of what the book looks like and the way Paul has set this up is also the way in which Paul begins to pray for the church. We think this Apostle Paul, this, this man of God who has planted numerous churches, traveled the world over in his journeys and, and had gone through every possible situation and scenario in his life, we get a glimpse into the way that he prays specifically for the church. So if you just look with me at Colossians 1, we'll start from the very beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1, we'll be reading down to verse 10. And we'll spend primarily this morning looking at verses 9 and 10. But I want us to kind of have a setup for what he's saying before those verses. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing as it also does among you. Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so this prayer that he was talking about in verse 3, he now says what that prayer looks like in verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as 
to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So here we have the Apostle Paul praying for the church. And we get a glimpse into what he's praying and the, the, the way that he prays for the church. So we're going to look at this prayer and say, what is this prayer? How can we look at this prayer and have it application to our own lives? So often we want to know, how can I pray for somebody? Or how, what does that look like? What's the priorities in prayer? And here Paul gives us an opportunity. This is the prayer that I have been praying for this church. This is the prayer that, that is, is for this church at this time. But not only that, we see some things that Paul brings out in his prayer, some important things that he says, these are the important things that I'm praying for you about. So number one, let's look at this. In verse nine, he says this, that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will. This word filled, this word filled is not just, I know a lot about this prayer. I know a lot of things. I know a lot about God's, God's will for my life. But it's this word that's used in a sense where it's not just filled with the knowledge, but it's, it's a sense of controlled by. You are controlled by this thing. That it's so filled you up that it controls you. And we cannot please God on the basis of things that we have just kind of guessed about or hoped to please God. We need to please and honor God the way that He desires for us to please and honor God. Now the closest thing I can think to that would kind of describe this for us would be this. When a guy goes about to find himself a wife and he finds this perfect girl for him and she's beautiful and everything about her is just intriguing and rapturing, he goes and gets a ring, doesn't he? Buys this wedding ring. And when he gets this wedding ring, there's this burning hole in his pocket where this ring is. And he is controlled by this knowledge that at any moment I can go and ask this girl to marry me. And so for the next 30 minutes, he, can, he contrives this beautiful plan of the most romantic date he can ever imagine and sets about to go about to do this. And so in a sense, there's this knowledge that he has about this ring that is controlling his actions, his thoughts, his desires, the way that he's going to spend his money, the way that he's, all these things are controlled by this knowledge. Now for the girl, it's the other side of this ring that controls her, Okay. So where the guy takes 30 minutes to contrive the most beautiful day of their lives, she takes the next year to try to figure it out, okay? So for her, after they get engaged, there's this, there's this wedding date that's set, and this wedding date now becomes this controlling knowledge that she has. It says, all of the rest of the next six months or nine months or a year of my life is going to be set about to plan and prepare for and get ready for this wedding because this thing is so important. So there's this knowledge that fills her mind that controls the way that she acts. And so for the word of God, he's saying here, this isn't just a knowledge about stuff, a knowledge about God, a knowledge about his word. This is such knowledge that it controls the way that we act, controls the way that we live, the way we spend our money, the places we go, the things that we do. This is a controlling thing, like that wedding date that's set in that future time. Everything that that girl does for the next year is controlled by this coming date, this knowledge that she has of what's going to happen. And so for us, how do we become filled with this knowledge of God? Three things I want to bring to your attention is this. The first thing is desire. 
There's this desire that we have for the word of God and for God himself. Hosea 6, 3 says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. There's this desire that we have within us that the Holy Spirit gives to us to desire God. And that's where number two comes in, this dependence. We depend upon the Holy Spirit. It's only through him that we know the things that God has revealed to us. There is an absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit at work within our lives that gives us an understanding of what he has for us and that fills us. And lastly is this, we dig into the word. This is the hard work of digging into the word, of, of, of disciplining ourselves to say, you know what, I'm going to turn the TV off and I'm going to spend time in the word. I'm going to get up earlier in the morning and I'm going to spend time in his word. I'm going to take my lunch break. Instead of checking the internet and going on Facebook and whatever I got to do, I'm going to spend time in the word. That this is so important to us, this desire, this dependence on the Holy Spirit and the digging into the word, that we do all these things. Now, primarily, we do that three different ways here at Mercy Hill Church. There's three areas in which we as a church have identified for us to make those things real to us and encourage us to do. Three things. The first one's life share. Life share groups, we are a church that is not just, that not just has small groups. We are a church of small groups. And so we prioritize the time that we have together in small groups where we can come together and experience the life of God together. We can discuss what is God doing in your life? How have you been challenged? What have you been up to? What's going on in your life? It's kind of hard to get that on a Sunday morning. And we've talked about this at our the last few weeks in class, but this is so important for us, this life share group that we are a church of small groups. And so that's one of the primary ways that we can we can begin to flesh these things out in our lives. The next thing is this, Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings for us are a priority. We sit under the word. We have opportunity to fellowship together, to sing God's praises. And so because of that, we prioritize Sunday mornings. It's not just optional to just kind of show up on Sunday morning if I'm feeling up to it or if I've got other things to do that morning or don't. We prioritize it so much that it affects the decisions we make for the rest of the week. So Saturday night, for instance, we said this before, we don't go see the 9 o'clock movie because we'll be tired the next morning for church. We go see the 7 o'clock movie. The things that we do on Saturday night will affect the way that we are able to engage with God on a Sunday morning. So some of you this morning are tired because you stayed up late last night. You didn't hear this message, so you don't know. But now you know. If we want to engage with the Word of God and understand the Word of God, we've got to be mentally ready to do that. Okay? So Sunday mornings are priority. Then personal Bible study. Like we said, digging into the Word. This is so important for us. These are three ways in which we experience this at Mercy Hill Church. By life share groups, digging into one another's lives. If you are not involved in a life share group, you need to get involved in a life share group. This is for us is the way that we can experience life together. Sunday mornings. We prioritize Sunday mornings. And lastly, personal Bible study. The question I want to ask you is this. Can this be said of your life? That these characteristics that I listed, do you intentionally place yourself in a position to receive from the word of God? Would those closest to you say that would characterize their life? Because that's a question we need to ask ourselves often. is isn't just a one-time question. This is a question that I need to ask myself. Lord, have I put myself in a position to know you through your word? 
Is this, a, is this something that's characterized my life? When people think about me, they say, man, that's a man or a woman who loves God, who digs into his word, who has made that an importance in their life. Or they say a million other things. This is the place that we, because it is important to us, we need to ask ourselves sometimes the hard questions. So we need to consider that. Does that characterize my life? Okay, number two. We go on. In verse 9b, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So we're filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, if the knowledge of God is, if the knowledge of God's will is how he desires for us to live, then spiritual wisdom and understanding is the application of that knowledge into our lives. This is, this is Holy Spirit infused wisdom for our lives. Because we may know the right thing, we may know the right verses, we may know the right parts of the Bible, but it's so important for us to know how does that translate into the way we live our lives. Where does this sense the rubber meet the road? Where does that come to a place of, okay, now this is how I live. And that for us is a dependence upon God to reveal that to us. A dependence on the Holy Spirit to reveal those things to us. So, for instance, a friend may call that weak who's had a terrible time and they've, they've lost a best friend. You know, the, 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 the verse of, hey, like the song we sang today, you know, God has all things worked out for your good. That wouldn't be a good verse to quote to them. Although that's true. That wouldn't be a good verse to quote. At that moment, we say, Lord, what is it you'd have me to do? You know what? It's maybe at that moment to weep with those who weep. Just to listen, ask questions, comfort them. But that's where the wisdom of God comes in. It says we need, to, we need to depend on the Holy Spirit for that wisdom. So that's, that's important for us as well. Okay. My mom brought up the verse talking about who is a friend of God, those who fear God. There's a sense where this, this fear of God isn't, isn't we're cowering in fear of God, but there's this respect. It's like, a, it's like a police officer. When we see a police officer on the side of the road, we don't speed up, do we? We slam on the brakes. We're probably speeding, right? So there's a sense where we, we in a sense, fear the police officer. He's not going to do anything bad to us. He's not going to hurt us. However, there's a sense of respect. Say, so you know what? I'm going to slow down because I respect his office that he holds. So there's a sense also as well for us to fear God, that we would respect God, that we would honor God with our lives, that we would take him seriously at his word. Moving on, number three. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. This walking is a sense of daily walking with the Lord is this daily obedience to God. Now imagine, if you will, that you work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel out of the country and spend an extended period of time abroad. So he says to you and the other trusted employees, look, I'm going to leave. And while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business. You manage things while I'm away. I write you regularly. When I do, I will instruct you in what you should do from now until I return from this trip. And everyone agrees. He leaves and stays gone for a couple of years. During that time, he often writes, communicating his desires and concerns for the company. And finally, he returns. 
He walks up to the front door of the company and immediately discovers everything is in a mess. Weeds flourishing in the flower beds, windows broken across the front of the building. The gal at the front desk is dozing. Loud music is roaring from several offices. Two or three people are engaged in horseplay in the back room. And instead of making a profit, the business has suffered great loss. Without hesitation, he calls everyone together and with a frown asks, What happened? Didn't you get my letters? And you say, Oh, yeah, sure. We got all your letters. We've even bound them in a book. And some of us have memorized them. In fact, we have letter study every Sunday. You know, those were some really great letters. And I think the president would then ask, But what did you do about my instructions? And no doubt the employees would respond, Do. Well, nothing, but we read every single one. And so for us, there's this message from the Lord that we can sometimes enjoy and read, but do nothing with. And we're like those employees. It says, man, I even memorized some of your letters. I did good, boss. And the Lord says, no, 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 that's not the point of the whole thing. This is for you to know me, but then to translate then is the way that you live. And spiritual wisdom and understanding is the call for us to obedience. This kind of obedience pleases God. And because Christ has set us free, the songs that we sang today, because Christ Jesus has set us free on the cross, he's, he's freed us to serve the Lord. And because of Jesus Christ, the cross for us is the doorway to which we can live lives that are pleasing unto God. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, his death on our behalf and his resurrection from the dead, God says that he, he takes the perfect righteousness of Christ and imparts it to us, gives it to us, takes all of our sin and rebellion and puts it upon Christ. So now when he sees us, he doesn't just see us. He sees his perfect son living inside of us. And now we have the righteousness of Christ. It's this great switch that we have. And so because of that, we are now able to please the Lord with our lives. We are given an opportunity to love God with our lives. So the very thing that the people were attacking the church, that were promising to deliver, mainly the people attacking the church are saying, look, there's a way that you can please God. Here's how. You need to observe these regulations. You need to obey these festivals. You need to do, all, you need to do this, 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 and this, and this. And then you'll be pleasing to God. Those things cannot please the Lord. It's only through walking in obedience to God's ways, trusting in the work of Jesus Christ for you, that enables us to be pleasing to the Lord. Now, number four. So we're asking to be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit. In every good work. The evidence of walking worthily of the Lord is this. It's a life of fruitfulness. It's a life of fruitfulness. This should be the mark of every redeemed person. For us, the mark of our lives should be that of fruitfulness of the Lord. I think of the parable of the sower. Jesus talks about the man who goes out and sows seed into all these different grounds, the hard ground, the, the, the thorny ground, the, the, the rocky soil, all these different things he sows seeds into. 
But there's this one soil that he sows into that's a good soil. And it says it produces a crop of 30, 60, 100 fold. There's this exponential growth that's experienced by people who've, who've encountered God, who's categorized as good soil. That should, be the, that should be the evidence of our lives as well. So what does that fruit look like? I think there's a couple of things this fruit looks like for us. is praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says this, the fruit of lips that acknowledge him. There's a sense of, of acknowledging the work of God in our lives. This joy that comes from experiencing God's power in our lives. There's this praise. It also looks like godly living. It talks about in Hebrews 12, 11, discipline that yields the fruit of righteousness. And lastly is holy attitudes. Holy attitudes, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the, of the life of the person who's been redeemed by God, who's been filled with the knowledge of his will, who begins to apply these things into his life, who begins to walk in obedience, which pleases the Lord, and the Lord then brings about a fruitfulness in our lives. So is this the mark of your life? Is this the mark of my life? Can this be said about my life? Can this be said about your life? If not, are we walking in obedience to the Lord? Are we doing the things that God has given us to do? That's the question. If we don't see this fruit in our lives, we do need to ask these kinds of questions. Am I walking in obedience to what God's called me to do? And lastly, this. Number five, verse 10. That we would increase in the knowledge of God. This is spiritual growth 101. And so often as Christians, we, be, we can become bored because God has, has revealed himself to us. And we've maybe dug into the word. We've heard some good messages and some good sermons. And our iPods are full of podcasts. And we've got all the right books. We've read all the right things. And we don't use what God's given us. But we still ask for more. I still want more. More of you, God. More of you, God. But we don't understand why our lives are so boring. Because we fill our lives with these things and there's no fruit in our lives. Because we haven't even taken the first step of walking in obedience to the Lord. That is so crucial for us. That we don't become stagnant in our lives. That we just don't fill ourselves with a bunch of information. A bunch of stuff. Then wonder why things are just so boring around us. Or we're so dry. For us, this is a call for us to walk in obedience to the Lord. And you know what? we will increase in the knowledge of God. And this whole process is causational. So as we increase in the knowledge of God, we become aware of his will for our lives, which then starts the whole process over again. This is like a cycle, if you will. A cycle of what God has done, what God is doing, how we grow in our lives. This is for us continuous, ongoing growth. So as we dig into the word and see what he has for our lives, begin to apply it into our lives, begin to walk in obedience, as God begins to be pleased with our lives, causes fruit to grow. From that, we become more aware of what God has for us and of who he is and of his will for our lives, and we start the process all over again. So for us, this is a process of growth. For Paul's desire for the church, and I believe his desire for us, is that we wouldn't just become Christians who sit in the back, back row in a sense of just 
our lives and just let everyone just kind of go about doing life as usual. Being filled with just a bunch of good information and go from Sunday to Sunday and just learn more stuff and read more books and listen to more podcasts and be satisfied with that. He says, no, there's a purpose for all of that. As we begin to look into the book of Colossians and what Paul's writing to them, he begins to dig and say, let's look at who Christ is. And for the purpose of that, for us to begin to change the way that we live in such a way that our lives would be transformed, that we have fruit in our lives as evidence of his redeeming work within us, that would please the Lord, bring glory to his name, see his kingdom advanced, see our lives changed forever. And as we start the process all over again, so this morning for us, I wanted to ask a couple of questions. Questions that I've already asked you, but are we ones that have positioned ourselves under the Word of God and have prioritized that in our lives? If not, what do we need to do about that? Do we need to get plugged into a life share? Do we need to prioritize Sunday mornings? Do we need to dig into the Word of God? Secondly, do we see fruit in our lives? Is, is, is the fruit that we've talked about, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, those things, do we see that fruit in our lives? If we don't see that fruit in our lives, are we walking in obedience to what God has given us to do? Does that characterize our lives? Because for us, these are questions of importance. We want, as we dig into this, into this book, in our life shares, on Sunday mornings, us personally. The purpose for us is to know God more, to live lives of fruitfulness for Him, for His glory. And so I want us to, to have an understanding of how that happens, how we can grow because of that.